Welcome to Creekside Church. I wish it was a sunnier day outside, um, but we'll have to make up for that with our enthusiastic singing. just want to give a recognition for all the mothers in the audience. We are thankful uh, to be here on Mother's Day. We're thankful that God gave us each a mother. Reminds me of Exodus 20:12. I love to read this verse on Mother's Day and Father's Day. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, a biblical thing to do. It's a, it's a great thing to be thankful uh, for our mothers. So as we have that in mind today, let's go ahead and stand as we sing uh, how God has done uh, great things. Come let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet, He has some great things. See what our Savior has done, see how His love overcomes. Listen to these verses from Psalm 90. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I'll just invite Steve to come on up. Um, we have a couple things that Steve's going to help us announce. We have uh, some new members to announce this morning, and then uh, we're going to make an announcement about our deacon team. I do not know why there's a comb on the stand, Steve. Go ahead and hand it back here. It's a lost and found. <laughs> I'm going to put it down here again. Wow, that, uh, that kind of shot the uh, attitude of uh, worship. I'm sorry, Alan. Go ahead, my brother. You, uh, I, I want to recognize, we have a couple of folks that we're going to recognize as new members here at Creekside. Uh, so uh, Kayla is over here, so just raise your hand, Kayla. And Brian is seated right down here. So Brian and Kayla, uh, let's give them a warm welcome to Creekside. We're grateful for their... We're just glad that you're worshiping with us. And uh, we have another graduate who wasn't here last week. So Cademan, we, uh, no, he's not here. He's not here. Cademan uh, graduated. So Cademan was not here last week, but he is also a graduate a three-time graduate, okay, so he graduated from high school, and he graduated from DMAC with two uh, associate degrees, so uh, three times graduate, so we, you know, if you see Cademan, uh, I know he's, he's not been feeling well, so just to encourage him, we're just grateful for his, um, his faithfulness and diligence and getting a lot of work done to graduate uh, in three, three different with three different things. So let's pray, uh, and maybe we can capture uh, and come back to uh, an atmosphere of worship. Father, uh, we thank you that you are a great God who uh, is greater than what we would ever imagine. You're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We pray now, Lord, as we uh, dig into your word, that you would continue to draw us to yourself, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And I ask that you take the truths that we are looking at and that you would wash over our hearts with these truths so that they might not just uh, 
give information to our, our minds, but that they might bring about a change in our hearts for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. Father, I, I lift up this morning um, our friends Ron and Betty. I know that they've been struggling with their health. We pray that you would continue to work in their lives to, to bring healing and strength to them. I pray uh, for not just Ron and Betty, but also for Rhonda and her sister and Rick and just the, the people that have been caring for them and trying to encourage them that you would sustain them by your grace. Lord, I lift up and pray and ask that your, your spirit would also uh, work to bring complete healing to our, our brother Doug, uh, our, one of our elders who had back surgery, bring strength and heal his body and restore him to health, and many others, Lord, that I could mention that I'm not going to. I just pray that we would uh, be brought to the throne of grace and uh, we can come here uh, seeking your help and we thank you for it. And we ask now that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful truths from your law for your uh, good and for the gain of your kingdom, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, Freddie Cesaretti uh, treated me favorably as an employee because I was, uh, and I'm not, I was dependable and I was a loyal employee. And the way Freddie Cesaretti treated me is the same way that God treats his children. He treats us uh, favorably when we're dependable and when we're loyal people. We left last week with, with Saul uh, being, uh, you know, cor uh, the coronation of Saul at Gilgal at the end of chapter 11. And Saul's coronation uh, at the end of chapter 11 provides the great and prime opportunity for Samuel to once again <laughs> rebuke the people for rejecting God as their king. It gives him an opportunity to remind them once again of God's covenant loyalty to them, his, his faithful loyalty to them, and then to redirect their attention towards fidelity, towards a wholehearted allegiance to him as their God. And so it's kind of a, a bad news and a good news chapter as we enter chapter 12, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 25, there's bad news and then there's good news. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up because Samuel's speech in chapter 12 of 1 Samuel and through the entire chapter, verses 1 through 25, it outlines four steps for embracing fidelity to the Lord as the key to experiencing His favor. In fact, we just sang about it, not here, but in the first service, we sang about it, the, the hymn, Trust and Obey. In the fourth verse of Trust and Obey, it says, He favors, He shows His favor on those who trust and obey. And so I'm going to begin by reading the text. I'm just going to read uh, down through verse 15, I believe, yeah. And so if you follow along with me, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one. In a, underneath the seat in front of you, around you. Again, I remind you I'm reading from the New American Standard, so there are some deviations from the ESV and from the NIV. I'm not going to tease them all out, but uh, we'll, we'll just, hopefully you can make sense of where I'm at. Verse 1, Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice and all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. And now... Here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am. 
bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? And whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. And they said to him, and they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Verse 6, then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And and they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubal, Gideon, and Bedan, or your version probably says Barak, and Jephthah and Samuel, and delivered you from the hand of your enemies all around you so that he, they, you lived in security. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and, be, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. And if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. I'm going to stop reading there, but we're going to pick it up. So here we have these... uh, I've broken it down. Again, it can be broken up into many different ways. Uh, but four steps to embracing the uh, fidelity to the Lord as the key to experiencing His favor. First, there's a charge against us. And there's two lines of examination. This is a courtroom. This is a, a courtroom. And Samuel is first, uh, uh, Samuel is first of all the, the defendant. He's defending himself. Then he turns prosecutor in verse 6. But here he is, and the first line of examination is that to our, our, our and I say our because it are, are paralleling us with them, our exercise of, of fickleness. I hope you understand my uh, fickle. We're, we're, we're hip- hypocritical. We're wavering, waffling. And there are two periods in, in Israel's history that he, he alludes to uh, that evidence human wickedness in contrast to God's faithfulness, okay? So it's our wickedness in contrast to God's faithfulness. And so here we see, first of all, in verses 1 through 5, he's talking about his own life. And Samuel, and if you went down and circled all of the first-person pronouns, they're I, 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 I. Samuel's like, I'm defending myself against what's happened. And so Samuel defends his integrity based upon his response to the request 
for a king. He obeyed them. He says, I gave you this king. Well, in fact, he wasn't obeying them. He was obeying God. If you went back to chapter uh, 8 in verse 7 and verse 9 and verse 22, chapter 8, he, he says, the Lord says, uh, give it to him, king. Samuel, give him a king. Samuel, give him a king. Now, that's my paraphrase. So, he, the request, he, he obeyed the Lord's explicit command, okay? And he says, and I have appointed a king over you. That, that's that's how, he, how he begins in verse 1 of chapter 12. And I have appointed a king over you, all right? Now, he appointed a king, but if we went back to chapter 10, verses 1 and 24, that's where he's kind of recognizing him. And then in chapter 11, he's actually made the coronation there, verses 14 and 15. I was thinking about this, and, uh, you know, uh, most of you, you may know that I'm not a, an Iowa Hawkeye fan, but let's, let's call a spade a spade. Let's give credit where credit is due. Lisa Bluter, who was the, uh, coach, is the coach of the uh, Iowa Hawkeye women, led the team to the national championship. You know, they played in the national championship. She, she did way beyond what any fan or any of the people that hired her thought would happen this season. Okay. Well, here's Samuel saying to them, look, I did what you asked me. I gave you a king. And in giving you a king, you're rejecting me and you're rejecting God as, as the king. Verse 2 is, is a very fascinating structure. It says, if you begin with verse, verse 2, the very first part, he says, Now, there is the king walking before you. Look at the end of the verse. He says, And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Samuel is deliberately setting up, he punctuates the king's reception and Samuel's rejection. So here's the king I gave you walking before you, and I have walked before you, but you are receiving him, you're rejecting me, even though I have been faithful all of my life. And we've, we've studied it, right, for Samuel? I mean, he, from his birth, from about three years old, he was dedicated to serve the Lord. And all of his life, he served them. And how do they treat him? How do they respond? Uh, next. You know? So next, Samuel asked them to bear witness. Okay, I want you to bear witness with me. What have I done wrong? Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Who have, who, what bribe have I taken? What have I stolen? If it is, you tell me and I will restore it. And they go, no, you're good. No problem. You, you didn't do anything wrong. Then he says, now, before, and he says it, before, before the Lord and before the Lord's anointed, I want you to bear witness. No, no problem. Now, let's call the Lord as witness against you. So if I've done anything wrong, then the Lord is a witness against you. And they say, well, the Lord is a witness and the Lord's anointed. They're a witness. You've done nothing wrong. His integrity. He highlights, uh, Samuel's integrity highlights Israel's wickedness in asking to replace him and God as their king. Not him as the king, but him as God's special gift to them as a prophet and a priest and a judge. And he, they replaced him and they replaced God. So Samuel turns prosecutor now. He's defended himself to highlight their wickedness in contrast to God's faithfulness. 
And now he turns defender. First there was this present rejection of him. Now the past rejection. So he begins in verse 6 with this, this indictment against them. And I just read it, so I'm not going to read it again. But I want us to start in verse 7. Because that's where I think he, he starts in verse 6. And I think he starts in verse 6 because he said to the people, It is the Lord. Because I think he wants to emphasize the Lord's activity. But notice what he says in verse 7 to start it. So now, you see the verse 2, and now. You see the verse 7, so now. We're going to see it again later in verse 13, I believe. But he says, take your stand. Okay, so he's like, this is a courtroom. Stand up, face your accusers. Listen, when you take your stand, this is the idea of position yourself to hear God's prophet Samuel present his argument against you. It's a courtroom. He's going to present his argument uh, against them. That's the, the word plea. I'm going to plea. I pled against you. And so what we have in the next few verses is kind of a rendition of Israel's history. And Israel has this history of, of experiencing a crisis. Okay? And then in the midst of the crisis, they cry out to God. And then as they cry out to, after they cry out, then the compassion of God delivers them from the crisis, all right? Well, that's what we see happening. So, and, 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 and then the deliverance is followed by, <laughs> there's deliverance. Then what happens after they're delivered? Oh, they go corruption again. And then the corruption leads to another crisis. And this is a typical pattern, and we've seen it. We didn't look at it, but it is on full display in the book of Judges, which is kind of the background context for, for Samuel. Okay, and so where does he begin? Samuel provides three examples of God's faithfulness. Okay, often in 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 the in the face of Israel's past fickleness. So not always. The first one doesn't include their past fickleness, but three examples of of God's faithfulness that often comes in the midst of Israel's fickleness. The first one is his rescue from Egypt, which, you know, I mean, that's standard procedure, right? You can go back to God's deliverance of the people of Israel and Egypt. What was the crisis? Uh, they're oppressed. They're enslaved in Egypt, right? And so they cry out to the Lord. This is Exodus chapter 2. How long have they been in Egypt? 400 years. <laughs> that's a long crisis, you know. And so then what, was God, what did God do? His compassion. Look at verse 8. Actually, look at verse 6. He says, Then Samuel said, Lord, it is the Lord who what? The Lord. Now, it's the Lord who did what? He appointed Moses and Aaron. Okay. Then you look at the end of verse 8. Then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. It's God who rescued them. His compassion. Then he turns in verses 9 through 11. Okay, we've, we've dealt with Egypt and given you that example of God's faithfulness to you. Now let's turn to another period of your history. The period of living in Canaan after you entered the promised land. And so here in verses 9 through, 9 through 11, we see the rescue from their enemies. In Canaan, the crisis became and abandonment of God. How does he start verse 9? But they forgot the Lord their God. 
delivered them from Egypt, and they whined all along the way, you know, ah, oh, we wish we could go back to Egypt and eat onions and leeks and all this kind of stuff. Okay, we're going to stuff your face full of bread and manna for uh, in perpetuity until you have it coming out your ears. But God took care of them. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their uh, stuff didn't wear out. But they had to stay in the wilderness for 40 years. They finally went into the promised land. And what do they do? Turn against God. And so we see the crisis was oppression. Uh, was, was this in Canaan. The crisis was an abandonment of God in the form of idolatry. And in Deuteronomy 32, it's, it's the God who gave you birth. What is the God who gave them birth? In Deuteronomy 32, 8, what does he do? It says in verse 9, so... He sold them into the hand. God gave them into the hand. This is God's activity. God did it. As a result of their wickedness, he disciplined them. The captain, then he mentions uh, Captain uh, uh, Sisera, you know, and then he gives the example of Philistines and the example of Moabites. These are just examples. They're not the whole exhaustive history of it. Then they cried, and whenever they cried, we see it through the book of Judges, whenever they cried to the Lord, what does he do? <laughs> and whenever they cried, and notice the cry, verse 10, and they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the fertility gods of the pagan Canaanites, idolatry. And then what, is, what does the Lord do? Verse 11, then the Lord sent, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, then the Lord sent Jerubal, Gideon, and Bedan, or Barak, I think it's probably Barak, okay, we don't know for sure, then Jephthah, and then Samuel, now these aren't the, you know, it's like, again, that's not all the judges, right, okay, it's an illustration, it's an example, then the Lord sent and brought you deliverance. Whenever they cried, when the people, when God's people in crisis cry out to him in repentance and or just independence upon him, he has a faithful a record of faithfulness in spite of, even in the face of our fickleness. And we're not always fickle, but that's, that's true. So, folks, I don't know about you, but I have experienced this in my walk with God. When I'm in crisis and I cry out to God, He brings deliverance. Sometimes it's because I've sinned and I'm there. Sometimes I haven't sinned and I'm there. He's brought vindication from false accusations. And some of you know that too. He brings a relocation of an antagonistic employer or employee or neighbor. You know, it's like God brings elimination of physical illness or distraction. God delivers us, and he has a faithful history. Now, what I want to say is that, that, that we're not delivered from every calamity, okay, this side of glory, or the consequences of our corruption. Sometimes our corruption leads to consequences that we can't escape the consequences, even though we're delivered from the corruption. Or, 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 or to know that we're not delivered from every calamity. And when we are, it's not always uh, quickly. Think Egypt, 400 years. 
So sometimes it takes a long time for, for God's deliverance to actually be felt. And so there's a rescue from Egypt. There's a rescue from her enemies. And then there's a rescue from Nahash. This is verses 12 and following. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon. Now this is chapter 11. Right? We just got done with this. This is chapter 11, the deliverance from, from Nahash. The recent crisis was the threat of invasion and humiliation. They would be invaded and humiliated. Their cry, notice their cry. What was their cry? He says in verse 12, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Stop right there. When the crisis in Egypt arose, what was their cry? Lord, deliver us. When they experienced the oppression because of their idolatry in the land of Canaan and they cried to the Lord, what was their cry? We have sinned. Forgive us and deliver us. Notice the reprehensible change in their cry. No, but a king will reign over us. It's no longer looking to God, it's looking to the king that they want God to provide for them. So here we have their, 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 their change, a reprehensible shift away it's from reliance upon the Lord your God who was your king. That's how he ends chapter 12, verse 12, the end of verse 12, right? This king who had always proven faithful to deliver you whenever you cried to him. Samuel? had served them faithfully entire life. God had proven faithful their entire existence. And now, don't want it. We want a king. When he'd always proven faithful. And so I stop right there. And I say, okay, let's ask ourselves a question. When do we tend to let the immediate crisis eclipse our reliance upon the Lord and trust in our own devices. That's what they did. They let the immediate crisis eclipse their reliance upon God and they trusted in their own mindset, their own devices. When do we do that? We're not different than them. Well, during inflation, we look for schemes to, to save our precious resources. And when I mention these things, I'm not saying that any one of those things is necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but when we look first and foremost to these things, rather than first to God, we, we relieve the pressures of life with, with alcohol, with TV, with uh, social media, you know, we're like, I'm going to look to that stuff, or, or just uh, wanton pleasure, I'm going to just try to find pleasure, that's going to relieve me. We... Oh, I got a difficult assignment. So what does ChatGPT say about that? I got a problem at work. I better, I better Google that uh, with ChatGPT and I can get an answer. I had a friend of mine said that he, uh, asked, he went on ChatGPT and he says, can, can you give me a sermon on Ephesians 2 or something like that? Boom! Within two minutes he had this, you know, 20-minute uh, sermon on ChatGPT, you know. And it was actually, he said, it's not, not too bad, you know. Well, we get in a pinch, we just look there. We, we trust in politicians, right, to save us from the moral and spiritual freefall that we're in in this country. 
instead of God. Parents, we're guilty. I got a conference, I got a book, I got a, a, a podcast I can listen to. That's going to, uh, you know, that's going to cure my kid if I just get all this stuff and I can fig- figure that out. I like what Alexander McLaren said in his commentary. He said, strange that after a hundred plain instances of his, God's aid, the hundred and first distress should find us almost as slow to turn to him and as eager to secure earthly stays or earthly solutions as if there was no past of our own or of many generations all crowded with bright and bright tokens of his care. How quick we are to turn somewhere else rather than to God. Last week we sang, we will, we will, uh, we will fight on our knees with our hands lifted high. Uh-huh. That's a good song. But then when the pressures at work come on, I quit. When somebody offends us, I'm going to sue them. When the banks might not have enough money, I'm going to get my money out. When I get a bad review. I'm just going to work harder. When a pandemic comes, I'm just going to hoard toilet paper. I'm just going to drown my sorrows. I'm just going to go on social media and tell everybody what I think. Instead, we do that first. Instead of trust God. Now, God's response to their rejection, what did God do in the result of their rejection of Him? He shows control and compassion. Verse 13 says this, Now therefore, here is the King whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a King over you. In the face of their rejection, God gave them what they asked for. Here's your king. You turn away from me, but I'm going to give you what you asked for. He was in control, and he demonstrated compassion, which they didn't deserve. This is mercy. It's not getting what we deserve. And folks, we are very, very desirous of God's mercy. We are very, very reluctant to extend it. God showed them compassion in spite. God mercifully gave his betrayers a king and he delivered them from conquest, Nahash. In spite of their corruption, God treated them with compassion as he does us. And we, like them, still need to learn the secret to God's favor with or without a king. How is it that even when God gives us what we don't deserve, we can still enjoy his favor? And that is the essence of what he goes into next. You got your king what you wanted for it in rejection of Samuel and rejection of me, but guess what? It'll still work if you keep one thing in view. 
I'm still king. I'm still king. Now, that's my abbreviation, but here, here, we, here we turn to the next, not only the exercise of our fickleness, but the experience of God's favor in verses 14 and 15. And there's, there's two considerations. And the first one is in verse 14. He starts with the condition, if. In the Bible, uh, the, 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 there's an if and a then. In this verse, there's an if and a then in the next verse. The if is the, is the condition, and the then is the consequence, Okay. So the if, the then, the if, the then. The if is if the, the if is under which God's favor results, the condition under which God's favor results is fidelity. Now that's my summary of what he says next. And what does he say? There's three components there. You will fear the Lord, that you would fear God. Fear Him first. And what does it mean? It means to stand in awe. It means reverence before God. That prioritizes our relationships. Here's what reverence, my shot at it, okay? You can, I can slice it a lot of different ways. But my shot at it is reverence before the Lord is that I prioritize my relationship with God. I'm cultivating that relationship. I'm putting Him first in the relationship and, 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 and service to God. I'm putting relationship and service to God first. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My heart longs for you and my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In Psalm 63, verse 1, I put him first. It pursues righteous conduct even when doing so isn't convenient. (laughs) I mean, I have to tell the truth? Always? Even when I don't want to tell the truth? Yeah, you tell the truth. You mean I, I have to work the whole day? To get paid? Yeah, that's part of the deal. Even when it's not convenient. You mean I have to stand up for my convictions and tell people that I'm, even if I get fired because I take a stand for Christ? Yes. Even when, so I, I prioritize our, my relationship with God and service to Him. I pursue righteous conduct even when it's not convenient. And this Fear produces unrivaled devotion to the Lord. Um, in Psalm 62, verse 8, it says, Trust in Him, all you peoples. And he says, For God is our refuge. He is our refuge. We trust in Him, in Him only. He is our refuge. Now that's my paraphrase of Psalm 62, verse 8. And we trust in Him as opposed to idolatry and, uh, and, and any other thing. Now, uh, there, I'm going to ask the guys to put up a, a slide. And in order to do that, they're going to have to kind of block it out because uh, I'm not, we're not going viral with this thing. But the, 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 there's two, two young ladies there that I met. And I mentioned them before a little bit. They're, they're secret believers. And I want to tell you, three minutes with these young ladies and my heart was warmed because they're sacrificing almost everything to follow Jesus. They fear God more than anything. There's a second aspect of this fidelity. It's fearing God. It's serving God. And that's what he says next. He says that we would serve God, serve the Lord in response to God's love for us. 
The love of Christ controls us, having considered this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And then not only do we serve God, but we obey God. And, you know, I don't think these, and what's really interesting to me is as we work our way through the passage, you'll see them almost used interchangeably to serve, to fear, to obey God. It's like this is a package deal. This is what it means to have fidelity towards God. Our obedience to the Lord is evidence of our faith and of our love for God. And the consequence, the then in verse 14, of fidelity, of fearing and serving and obeying, is that both the people and the king will follow the Lord your God. Now, I know the ESV says, words it differently, it says that if you do this, then it will be well with you. You know, it's not a matter of following the Lord, then they will be following the Lord. Yeah, it's then will be following. The it is well is uh, added, okay? It's not in the Hebrew text. But it's, I think, rightly assumed, because that's my premise, right? Fearing, serving, obeying God is the secret to his favor, right? Then it's going to be well with you. But it's not in the text. It's implied. So fidelity which is fearing, serving, and obeying, leads to following. And following leads to His favor. If I fear God and serve God and obey God, then I will follow God. And if I follow God in Him only, then He will favor me. He'll favor you. As opposed to what happened (laughs) when they were in Canaan, right? He'll sell us out. No, He's not selling us out. He's going to follow. and Then there's the consequence of failure, which is in verse 15, uh, 20 verse 15, same structure, if and then, if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command. Now notice there he says, just listen. So he left out fear and serve, same deal. It's, it's basically all the same thing. And rebel against the command of the Lord. Then the hand of God will be against you. There's no more dangerous place to be than to have God's hand against you. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. We don't want to be in the hands of an angry God. A rebellion leads to His wrath, and it's catastrophic. I want you to look what uh, God told them through Joshua in Joshua chapter 24, verse, verse 20. Um, says this, if you abandon the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and destroy you after he has done good to you. In verse 15, he says, I'm going to do to you what I did to your fathers. What did he do to the fathers? He sold them out so that they were the, the Sisera and the Philistines and the Moabites were against them. It's not a pretty place to be. It's not where you want to be. And so here's the deal. The key to favor, the Lord's favor, has always been and always will be. Fearing God and following Him. Fidelity. The secret to God's favor is to follow Him wholeheartedly and to fear Him. And this, Samuel provided the information about the rebellion, okay, in rejecting God as king. But they must not have been fully convinced because of what comes next, right? So they had the information, but it hadn't brought about any transformation. And so he punctuates it. With the, the I, I labeled it the confession uh, bias, 
But there's two factors. First of all, there's the confirmation in verses 16 through 19 of evil. You look at verse 16. He says, even now, okay, so even now, it's again one of those markers, take your stand. There it is again. Take your stand. Okay, you took your stand. I was going to make an accusation against you. Now take your stand because you're going to see something spectacular. You're going to see something that's marvelous, okay, to witness something spectacular, a visible display of God's displeasure that would provide confirmation, not only of Samuel's words that convict their sin, your wickedness is great, this is what it says in, in verse 16, I'm summarizing, and convince them of God's power to punish them. Their rebellion. And it would clarify that fearing and following is the key to his favor. And it would ultimately move them to confession. So here's the display that's going to give you, number one, you're going to see Samuel's words are true. Number two, you're going to see how powerful God is. Number three, you're going to understand that fearing and following is the only way to please God and find favor in your sight. And then you're going to be convicted of your sin. You're going to repent and we'll see what goes from there. It was a thunderstorm. Verse 17. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So all that I said before is based upon these verses. He's going to confirm Samuel's words. He's going to highlight their, convict them of their sin. Their wickedness is great. He's convinced them that God has power to punish them. It's fascinating. Baal and Ashtaroth were the fertility gods. And these fertility gods were the ones that the pagans looked to to provide thunder and rain in order... Think Mount Carmel and Elijah on Mount Carmel. What did he do? He called down lightning, thunder, right? Well, it's not unintentional that you see that thunder is what comes against God's enemies. In fact, Hannah had prophesied this in chapter 2, verse 10. That thunder would come as, as a judgment on the enemies, as a, to convict the enemies. And guess what? Back in chapter 7, what did we see? When the Philistines were pressing in against the people, Samuel prayed and thunder and lightning came down and frightened them away. Now, thunder and lightning is to demonstrate their wickedness to God towards God. He's going he's gonna to do it. it all that, the, the previous demonstrations were to dissuade, like dissuade the Philistines from attacking him. Now it's to persuade Israel of how wicked they were for asking for a king. Force wasn't lost on them. Uh, they, they didn't miss the point, okay? Text says that when the, the thunder and the lightning came down, verse 18 all the people greatly feared the Lord, and they feared Samuel. For once, they smelled the stench of their own sin before a holy God. They understood how offensive their sin was to God. I had a roommate in college. Uh, he thought it would be a great thing to conserve water which is not a bad thing, uh, but it's a bad thing if you don't shower and you don't wash your clothes, which he refused to do for weeks. 
in a college dorm room, and there were three of us in this dorm room, which was made for two, and that's a stretch. And so the stench was reprehensible. <clears throat> and I would tell my roommate, he'd go, I don't smell anything. I said, yeah, but a pig doesn't smell its own wallow. It wasn't until a third party came in, stopped by a room, and I said, hey, it stinks in here, doesn't it? And he goes, yeah, it's pretty bad. Only when a third party communicated did my roommate understand the extent of his stench in our sight. Only thunder and lightning brought the stench of their sin before God into their awareness. And it resulted in their repentance, their confession the, the result was the confession of evil. In 2019, they realized that they deserved God's wrath and they confessed their evil by asking for ourselves a king. And they asked Samuel to plead for their lives before God. Would you go before God and have him spare our lives? God used the motivation of fear. And you think, well, that's not inadequate. Read Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. God uses fear to get our attention. And that's not inappropriate because sometimes we need to what fear God now here their fear was they're going to die uh, the fear used earlier is more of reverential fear but hey you you need it and repent repentance then brought about reassurance so you see we went from the bad news you're wicked horrible reprehensible you deserve God's judgment and you should die to Good news, the comfort that's given to us. And there are several sources of comfort to encourage God's people who are guilty of rebellion. Even when we're in rebellion, there's, there's reason for encouragement. And the first one is the proclamation of comfort. Repentance provides the context for real comfort. Notice the first words of, of verse 20. He says, and Samuel said to the people, do not fear. Well, he just told them up there in verse 12 to fear God or you know, 14, fear God. Now he's saying, don't fear. What does he mean? Relax. Understand that you have sin. And then he recites their sin. Yep, you're guilty. This is verse 20. Don't fear. You are guilty. You messed up. But here's the deal. Then he says, Samuel acknowledged the full extent of their wickedness, followed by an admonition to faithfulness. Own your sin. I think he's saying, but don't obsess over it. Own your sin. Don't obsess over it, over your past offenses. Folks, if you're here and you're a child of God, that should be encouraging to you. Because we've sinned. And sometimes bigger sins than others. Own the sin. Yeah, I messed up, but hey. Oh, God, thank you. There is forgiveness with the Lord. Uh, you don't obsess on it. Move on. Move on from the sin. Confess it. Repent and move on. That's the challenge. Don't get sidetracked. Look at the verses. Verse 19. Pray for your servants to the Lord, he says, and then that we may not die. Verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil. <laughs> You're guilty as, as sin. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart. You hear the, hear the echoes of verse 14? Don't turn aside. Fear the Lord. Serve the Lord. Obey His commands. Two times He says, don't turn away. Verses 20 and 21. Don't get sidetracked from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with what? 
I'll leave it there. With all your heart. Not half-heartedly, but with all your heart. Serve the Lord. See, verse 21, then he says, then he says this, And you must not turn aside, for you would go after futile things. Fidelity avoids vanity. For faithful to the Lord, we're going to avoid the pursuit of what cannot profit or deliver or what diverts our attention away from God. So what are those things? What are futile things in your life? What are things that, that divert our attention away from God, that keep us from fully following Him, that cannot profit and cannot deliver? False gods do that. You know, but we're not running around worshiping, uh, you know, physical idols most of us right but we have other idols so the false gods so i would say good things that become false gods okay i mean they can be taken too far travel i can some people worship their travel okay some people are involved well i just got to go to the next concert some people uh, have a collection i got a collection i'm just need to add more to my collection if i got my collection then i'm going to be satisfied with my collection of, of stuff for some people it's it's our children's activities. I got to go to everything. I got to be there at every time. Every time, they, uh, some people it's social media. I got I got to be on Snapchat, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you know, and if I'm not on all that stuff, then I can spend all my day doing that. Now, those are good things that we can do. Then there are bad things. There are good things, and then there are ghastly things that we turn to that distract, that do not profit. Alcohol, popularity, drugs, pornography, any counterfeit. The contrast to Yahweh. You can fill in the blank. And then we see the motivation for comfort in following and serving the Lord. First of all, is in his character. Uh, Verse 22, for the Lord will not abandon his people. Oh, wow. God God doesn't give up on you. You give up on yourself, but God doesn't give up on you. God's not writing you off. Because you've messed up. He wants us to repent and turn to him and follow him. But if, if we're doing that, he's not selling us out. He's with us. And God's character. It says the name, based on the name of God, which is his character. And God is faithful to his people despite our fickleness towards him. Because his essence is love. He is a loyal, loving God. So when we repent and turn, he's there. And God is pleased to make all of us, every person, not just believers, but I mean, he's, he's pleased to turn those who turn from our self-directed life. And we trust in Christ's death and resurrection, which secures our pardon. We become his people. And when we become his people, he never sells us out. If we're following and pursuing and faithful to him. He'll sell us out so we're disciplined, and then if we continue on in our mess up, we're going to see that at the end, then then we aren't really his children. Gone. Wipes us out. He'll never leave or forsake us. You, You know Matthew 28, 20. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, same thing. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Awareness of our great wickedness is balanced by an awareness of God's great faithfulness. That's the good news. Then there's a commitment. The commitment of the servant. First there's the character of God that secures our comfort. Then there is the commitment of God's servant. Serves as impetus for faithfully following God. He said, look, what does he say? I'm not going to leave you. And Samuel, whom they'd written off, God the king they'd written off, Samuel says, oh wait, by the way, 
I will not fail to intercede for you. I will not fail to instruct you in God's ways. That's my calling. If I do otherwise, it's sin. Now, I'm, I'm paraphrasing verse 23, all right? Because this is the conclusion. This is, it leads us to the conclusion, but we're not there yet. God's great mercy. You got Samuel. But guess what? We have the same promises with a better high priest and a better prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has always promised that he will invite, he invites us to come to him, Matthew chapter 11. He instructs us in the way. I mean, you can the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, John chapter 13, all of the Bible, he's instructing us. And guess what? He's also interceding for us in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. He's a better high priest than Samuel. And he intercedes for us. And this incentive for fearing and following God leads us to the conclusion. He comes right back where he's been going all the time. Verse 24, he says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. That's it. Fear leads to following, leads to his favor. Fidelity leads to his favor. That's what he's trying to say for us, I think. The keys uh, and follow him wholeheartedly. Why? Because of the great things he's done for you. What has he done for us? If you're a child of God, what has he done for us? Well, first and foremost, he's saved us. He's redeemed us. That's the greatest thing that he's ever done for us. God's faithfulness. And that's because we were such good people. We're just such, such a catch. God, boy, when he got, when he got you, man, he's, he's like, wow, glad they're on my team now. Not. He takes us in spite of our wickedness. In spite of our fickleness, fickleness he is faithful to, to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. And you know, once he saves us, he's not done with us. He, 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 his deeds are salvation, and then he continues faithfully in our sanctification. We take a couple of steps forward, and then we fall back into sin, and he says, I got you, you know. You, you, you confess, you repent, and we're right back. You start following me, and I've got you. I'm with you. I'm taking you along the way. This is it. And that's what believers, his faithfulness is that he saved us. Now, we come along, we need to repent, you know, because we put other things in front of God sometimes. And we do futile things, and we need to confess and repent and turn, but he's there. Then if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? Look at the end of the verse, end of uh, this chapter, verse 25. But if you still do wickedly, you're going to be swept away. Now, if, truly, if you're truly a believer, swept away doesn't, still doesn't sound too good. Okay? But I think it's probably that, you know, you're proving that you're not even a follower of God if you get swept away. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of God, that's the conclusion for you, swept away, which means destroyed. And I don't want that. God doesn't want that. And so I invite you to repent and turn from your sins and trust this Jesus who died on the cross to pay for you. Then you will enjoy the favor of God as you follow him faithfully. And what a great demonstration and reminder of the demonstration of God's faithfulness to fickle people than to take the bread and the cup. To celebrate the victory we have in Jesus when we don't deserve it. 
His sacrifice paid the price so that you and I could be His children forever. Rebels could become righteous in the sight of a holy and righteous God. And His mercy then compels us to fear, to serve, and obey, and follow Him because fidelity leads to His favor. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the passage before us that provides a conviction of sin, challenge to examine ourselves, an accusation against our sin that we need to own, repent, and turn from, and then affirmation that, Lord, as we seek you, as we fear you, as we follow you in obedience, you will show your favor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let no one caught in sin remain inside the lie of inward shame, but fix our eyes upon the cross and run to him who showed great love and bled for us. Freely Just a quick announcement. Um, the elders and the deacons are nominating an additional uh, deacon to the deacon team. Uh, so Jim Fennessy, and uh, as part of our process, we, we put the nomination out there. We wait a couple weeks, and, and we would love to hear uh, feedback from you. According to his will, we would like to, in a couple weeks, uh, officially announce Jim as part of the deacon team. So we invite you to give us any feedback on that. Um, let's, let's give thanks for the offering. Father, we... Uh, come to you. We are grateful and thankful for all that you have done. Um, Lord, help us to, uh, as Samuel called the Israelites to do, to consider the great works of God, that you redeemed us. You gave us a purpose. You gave us uh, forgiveness of sins uh, for all who will come to you. Father, I pray that nothing would stand in the way from anyone in this room uh, coming to you and claiming that forgiveness, claiming that life that we have in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to contribute to the offering, you can do so uh, on your way out of the room. Look for the box on the welcome table. <laughs>